Let's get to our sermon today. This is Youth Sunday, so let's give our youth a hand again. And our sermon series is misunderstood and straight out of context. And so I'll be preaching about Jonah and the story from the book of Jonah today. Because when I think about it, Jonah and this book of the Bible is the most misunderstood books in the whole Bible, if you ask me. It's taken out of context so often. And when I think about the book of Jonah, the first thing that comes to mind is a whale, right? Maybe a children's story. Veggie Tales is the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about the book of Jonah. And not just Veggie Tales, but I think of the Ninevites as being pee slapping each other with fishes. And that just, mm, it's the first thing I think about. But the hard thing about seeing Jonah through this lens is that we totally miss what God is saying. This is not a story about a man and a fish. This is not a children's story. And it's not at all a fairy tale. The book of Jonah is given to us by God because he uses it to expose the worst tendencies that form in his people. And you might assume that, assume that in this sermon series, misunderstood, that Jonah is the one that's misunderstood. And he's not. Actually, I understand Jonah very well. But it's God who's misunderstood. And because of our hardened hearts, we miss him time after time after time. Even when he's doing amazing things in our lives, we miss him. So, let's get to some content. Do y'all mind if I geek out a little bit? Because I like to talk about context and I like to talk about... Just bear with me a little bit, all right? So a lot of biblical thinkers approach this book through two different views. The first is that this is a true historical account of Jonah's life. And people who take this approach usually get caught up in whether Jonah could truly live in a fish's belly for three days, right? And the question of miracles overshadows the story being told. The other view is that Jonah is a historical figure. We know that because it's referenced in the book of Second Kings. And Jesus himself even referenced the story. But even though he's a historical figure, the second view says that this is probably more of a parable using a real person in it, just like Jesus told parables all the time, right? The one thing that both of these view agreed on is that this book is very different from all the other books of the prophets. The other books of the prophets are about the word of the Lord delivered through the prophet to the people. Because a prophet is God's mouthpiece. He speaks on behalf of God. The difference is that this book is about what the Lord is saying through the story of a prophet to his people. There's no other book of prophets like that. And it makes this book special. And if we get caught up on a fish, we've already missed the point. So the storytelling style... This is crazy. I never imagined this till I really got into the Greek and, and the Hebrew. Well, it's the Hebrew. This is told in the form of satire. Everything is big in this story. Can you believe it? Even if we look to see how far Jonah ran from God, he ran to the other end of the known world. When he got into the boat, it was the biggest boat. 
When he hit the storm, it was the biggest storm possible. The boat was literally, it says, it was trying to hold together and not break apart. And then when Jonah was thrown into the, into the sea, he got swallowed up by the biggest fish. So this is satire. And this storytelling style is the use of humor, irony, and exaggeration or ridicule to expose and criticize people's stupidity and vices. <laughs> so if I think of satire, some of y'all might miss this. I know I'm an old man. But if I think of satire, the first thing I think about is The Chappelle Show. Anybody remember The Chappelle Show? One of my favorite shows of all time, as a matter of fact, my wife hates it because I've memorized every episode of every season. And I, it's amazing. But the amazing thing about The Chappelle Show is he told stories that were over the top, made me laugh to the point where I almost threw up on myself. And the crazy thing about it is he was making fun of me. He was making fun of us, of our culture, and making these stories outlandish. But he was pointing out our flaws. But the amazing thing was we didn't get offended. Well, not everybody. <laughs> but we laughed. One of my favorite episodes was about Rick James. <laughs> and at the end of the story, Rick James is sitting on a couch saying, I can't believe... I'm sitting here reminiscing about Charlie Murphy kicking my butt. And David Chappelle told his story, and he was laughing about how outrageous his life was. And he can laugh about it. So what is God telling us through this story that's told in the form of satire? What are we supposed to get from this? What is God saying to us? So let's, let's go back a little bit more. Jonah's story doesn't start, actually, in the book of Jonah. It starts in 2 Kings. And let me set the landscape for you. Jonah prophesied to the king of Judah good fortune in 2 Kings. You know, this is God's people, so you would think that that's all right. But this was a very, very wicked king of Judah. As a matter of fact, he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He perpetuated the sins of his father, the sins of idolatry, which caused all of Israel to be in sin. At this point, when he prophesied, Israel was a sinful nation. They were worshiping idols. Mm. But Jonah had no problem giving the word of the Lord to this wicked king and it being favorable. As a matter of fact, in verse 25, it says that the king restored the coast of Israel entering into Hamath and to the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord uh, of Israel. And he spake it through Jonah. Basically, what this evil king did was he expanded and took back Israel's territory. Jonah had no problem to, do, uh, to deliver this word because, you know, even though he was a wicked king, he did a lot for the nation. A nation that was surrounded by enemies. And even though Israel was totally in sin following idols, Jonah knew God's character. He knew that if God told him to deliver a word, <laughs> that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God that relents from sin and calamity. 
And now we get to Jonah's story in the book. And God has another message for him to give. He tells him to go to the Ninevites and give a message. Let me tell you a little bit about the horror of the Ninevites. The closest visual I could give you to what Nineveh would be. Okay, I'm going to make another. Bear with me. Don't judge me. To imagine the Ninevites. Does anybody watch Game of Thrones? If you don't get it, don't judge me. Like I said, just work with me. Imagine the Ninevites being like House Bolton. That was the Ninevites. Nineveh had a reign of terror and violence and torture and killing. They conquered all the people around them and pridefully carried home the body parts of their enemies. They would literally take the heads of their king, put it at the banquet table to celebrate their victory. And then after the banquet, they would put it at the gate and let it rot so everybody could see. They would take the generals, chop their bodies up, send it all throughout Nineveh as like souvenirs of war. They loved it. They were horrible people, terrible people. They even filleted a person alive and left them out to bleed. This is the type of people that Nineveh was. And you would think that Jonah ran away from God when he told him to deliver this message because he was scared, right? That makes sense. But he wasn't. Jonah was not at all scared because he knew God and his character. As a matter of fact, he was angry. And the thought that God would have a word for this wicked people drove him crazy, I believe. He even said in chapter 4, verse 2 in the book of Jonah, he said, God, look, this is why I ran all the way to Tarshish. Because I know that you're a God that's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I know that that's your character. And if you have me to give a message to a wicked people, I know that if they turn... You won't give them what they deserve. What Jonah was missing is that Israel exists as a nation because God is this way towards them. And it's a fact that Jonah knew God's character like this. Because I'm going to tell you, it says it again in Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed... The Lord God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love, steadfast and faithfulness. It says it in Joel, rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. In Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Nehemiah 9, 17. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that God did among them. And they stiffened their necks. But you know what? God, you're ready to forgive because your grace is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And you will not forsake them. 
Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. And he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. I think they absolutely knew God's character. I have a question for us. Have you ever felt in your heart, God, how can you give the blessings that you have for me to them? They don't deserve it. Do you see what they've done? How dare you give what's precious to me to my enemies? You see, the love of God is so scandalous that his mercy and his grace extends to even those people that we hate. And it's not enough to know and accept that that's God's character, but he's called us to be a conduit in delivering his love, even to those people that we hate. As I was reading this, I had to look in the mirror and I had to tell myself to stop running. Because it's the exact same grace he's given me when I haven't deserved it. And if we really take a step back and see, Jonah was invited by God to be a part of a movement of God's grace and love that was bigger than any of that time. Bigger than any of that time, a whole nation repented. Even the cows, it said. Even the cows repented. And Jonah missed it. He still didn't get it. Not even in the end did he get it. And again, I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, could I look past my hurt and pain and all of my stuff to be a part of a move of God? to be a part of a move of his grace and love. Let's get back to Jonah, chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. He made himself a shelter and sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. This is after he delivered the message. And he was actually hoping that the Ninevites would repent from repenting because he wanted them to get smoked. I've had that in my heart before. Mm. (laughs) And the Lord God provided a leafy tree and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head and ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm and which chewed the plant and it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head, probably gave him sunburn. And he wanted to die. And he said, I would rather die than to live. And God looked at Jonah and said, is it right for you to be angry at a plant? Is it right for you to be angry at a plant when I have thousands of people made in my image down there that I want to save? Is it right for you to be angry at a plant? 
And it's amazing that in this moment that God is still merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to Jonah. And the theme of God's character is still there because Jonah's heart is so hard. He doesn't even deserve God's grace at this point. But it's still pursuing him. Crazy thing is it in the end of that verse. We don't get to hear Jonah's response. To God's question. Because as we read this, we realize it's not for Jonah to answer. That question is for us. Has anybody ever seen that classic movie, The Neverending Story? One of the best movies of all time. It's my favorite. In that movie, Bastion is reading the book and he realizes that he's become a part of the story. And in the end, he has to respond to save himself and the people in the story. This is how I feel when I'm reading Jonah. And I had to ask myself some more hard questions. I'm always asking myself questions when I read this, just like God is asking Jonah questions. Am I willing to spare a moment of being uncomfortable so someone else could experience God's love? Or do I care more about my comfort than about the people that God has sent me to? Am I okay with God loving my enemies? The love of God is so scandalous that I can't conceive it, but I want to submit to it. And am I willing to have these hard conversations that God told Jonah to have with the Ninevites? Am I willing to have hard conversations like that? Because the spirit of God is upon us and he's asking us to work with him. Will I? Will we? When Jonah was in Nineveh, he only gave a five-word sermon in Hebrew. He didn't mention God. He didn't even mention why. He just said, look, if you don't repent, you'll be overturned. But that changed that nation. Because he at least had the conversation. Even though he didn't get it. And the last question I have to ask myself, because I'm examining my heart through this book, is can I forgive? Because in the end, I think God is after the hearts of his people, the same people that are called his own, because winning the lost is easy. He's us. We, it's us he's trying to win. And this isn't a story for kids, but God is showing us the worst tendencies that form in his people through Jonah's story. And it's us that God wants to rescue. And we run and we fight so hard, but he's still merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The band can come up. I just want to say and give anybody out there an invitation that if you've been running trying to save your life, I want you to know that the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And your Father in Heaven is inviting you to be a part of amazing move of His grace and His love. I decided to stop running today. Will you? And if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, 
I just want you to know that through this story, we see his character. The one thing that I can tell you for sure about God is that he's merciful, that he's gracious, he's slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. And for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so is great as his steadfast love towards those who fear him. The crazy thing is, when Jonah was going through this, he's not talking to a God who couldn't relate. He was talking to a God who let his own people whip the skin off of his body, nail his hands into a cross in his feet. And when they strung him up, he looked down at his enemies and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I believe the Lord is asking us to have that same spirit. So there'll be people standing up against the wall. If you feel like you need to stop running, go to somebody and pray with them. The altar is going to be open. And the band is going to worship